This is Monocle On Design Extra. It's a short show to accompany our weekly long-form program where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. This week, the Burrell Collection reopened in Glasgow. The museum contains works amassed by its namesake philanthropist, including tapestries, ceramics, sculpture and paintings. And over the last five years, architects John McCaslin and partners have renovated the building that houses them. The aim? To enable more of the collection to be on display to the public and improve the structure's environmental performance. To find out whether these goals were achieved, Monocle's Charlie Filmer Court spoke to John McCaslin. So the Burrell Collection was a private art collection assembled by a guy called Sir William Burrell, who was a ship owner, and he basically bought ships cheaply and sold them at profit, and he spent the proceeds on building up one of Europe's really greatest collections of fine and decorative arts in the late 19th to the middle of the 20th century. And he began collecting, I think, when he was about 15. He died when he was 96. And he was a kind of an avid and compulsive collector, collecting at the peak up to four different works of art each week. So he was, I mean, an extraordinary guy. And, and the work of art varies from Greek and Roman work, armory, Chinese porcelain, but his particular interest was late Gothic and early Renaissance work, although he did collect up to the Impressionist and post-Impressionist. And it's regarded as probably one of Europe's finest collections of, of art from the period. The original building was built in the early 1980s by a really great architect, an architect academic, I guess, from Cambridge called Barry Gasson. It sits in Pollock Park outside Glasgow, and it's a fantastic building, but it did have some problems the roofs leaked, the facade leaked, and it became a little bit old-fashioned in the way it displayed the collection. So our job was really to update the building and to find another way of perhaps more evocatively to present the collection and to get more work on display because although the museum was very popular when it opened, about a million visitors a year, the numbers of visitors had declined considerably by 2016 when we got involved about 150,000. So our job was to repair the building and to represent the collection, which was a fantastic project. And also to make it what we'd call a fabric-first approach to renovation where we used low-energy systems and leads with the principles that we use the embodied energy within the existing building and try to make it as efficient as it possibly can be from an energy perspective. One of the changes that I saw that you made is to ensure that far more of the collection can be seen. Uh, how have you gone about that? Exactly. I mean, that was, in a way, the key thing. About 20% of the collection was in show when the building closed, and we managed to push that up to about 50%, 60%. And we did it, really, by repurposing bits of the building, which had been offices and storerooms and things, and turning them into galleries. So we got much more space for the exhibitions themselves and we brought all of the collection on site so it's either on display or it's in open stores and we added about I guess about 30-40% of gallery space in total so it's all about the exhibition space and we've got very little back of house which is unusual in a gallery but it does mean you know that visitors will be able to be kind of really engaged with the art 
fully rather than you're in small areas of the building. So it's a very kind of compact but pretty richly varied and and vivid presentation of as much of the collection as we possibly could go on in the galleries at one time. And also, because it's all in sight, it means that we can rotate the collection pretty easily when needs be. I mean, I think obviously that's driven by practicality and that in no way be seen as a bad thing to have all those things on site. And you did mention the, the fabric first kind of approach. Could you maybe go into a little more detail about that? How does that work? And, and has that involved trying to utilise existing parts of the, of the structure and to try and make sure that as much of the existing building can be used or utilised as opposed to maybe just replacing it? Well, Charlie, that's exactly what it is. A fabric-first approach means that you take the building as found and you work with it as far as possible and you upcycle materials where you can, you remove as little as possible... And the key thing is that you try to utilise the building fabric rather than relying on mechanical systems. So, you know, natural ventilation, air movement, photovoltaic cells on the roof. You try to minimise energy-consuming systems. And so that's the principle of fabric first, which can be in, you know, it can be in office buildings, it can be in homes, it can be in anything. But it's kind of unusual for a gallery to work like that because of all of the environmental controls and humidity controls. So... We work hard with the engineers to ensure that the building can operate using the fabric-first approach, which I think is going to, we're going to find out that probably... I think we feel that the, probably the cost of energy in the borough now will be probably equivalent to what it was in 1983. So it's you know, when you think of inflation and the like, it's hugely less. So it's a very efficient, environmentally kind of responsive approach to the revivication, if you can call it that, of the original building. And maybe just going back to the original structure, in general, it's a really well-received building. I read that Prospect magazine voted it second in their top 100 Scottish buildings of the decade. (laughs) Does it make it easier knowing that you're working with something that, as a structure, is well-received, it's the canvas that you can use to then work with in your restoration? Does it help when it's something that's so well-liked, or does it actually maybe add a bit of pressure? I mean, number one is we love the building and I mean, we've all, I've always loved the building. I think it's, it's a really great piece of architecture and also like the materiality. It uses you know, Russian pine, concrete, stone, limestone and Dumfries sandstone. So it's got this one stainless steel glass. It's got this gorgeous palette of materials. And it's also a fantastically conceived building. So in a way, our job, which makes it a little bit boring, but our job is to actually make the repairs look as invisible as possible. And whatever we gently added to what exists... You know, it's about celebrating what was there, just making it work better. So I think there's been a degree of pressure, I think, on us to ensure that... You know, so, so a visitor might think, well, it looks exactly as it was when I last visited, but it really isn't because it's more of the displays, it's, it's more interestingly displayed, it's better light, there's more volume. It's all the things that we would hope to achieve, but basically the original building is intact. I mean, that's the key thing, isn't it? For us to be sort of gentle with the original building... My thanks to John McHaslin there. He was speaking to Monocle's Charlie Filmer Court. If you're keen for more design stories, listen to our full-length programme airing on Tuesdays at 8pm London time. Today's episode was produced by May Lee Evans. I'm Nick Manise. Thanks for listening. Listener.